What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Mike Zuniga Films Podcast. In this episode, I have with me Brandon Washington. He's a filmmaker, photographer, and YouTuber based in Texas. I've watched a lot of his videos. They're very informative and entertaining. And I wanted to pick his brain, have him share his experience as a filmmaker with all of you. So without further ado, Brandon Washington. Thanks for being on the show, Brandon. Appreciate it. No worries. No worries. I'm excited. Me too. Me too. So, um, yeah, let's just jump right into it. I, you know, I've watched a lot of your videos on YouTube. Very insightful. Um, very informative. And that's why I wanted to, you know, reach out to you because I know that I want to pick your brain and a lot of my, um, audience would like to hear from you as well. So what's your story? I know that you are into filmmaking, but was that always your background? How did you get into it? Um, so I actually didn't get into uh, filmmaking until like right after I graduated from high school. Um, it actually started out just as kind of like a fun thing to do. Um, I used to actually like do like break dancing and I was in the hip hop scene and all that stuff here in Houston. And, uh, I used to watch videos on YouTube of other dancers, like break dancing and all that kind of stuff. And I thought it was really cool how they were recording it and putting it on online. And so I was like, Oh, I want to learn how to do that. I got to buy a camera. I got to get a MacBook. Cause that's what I thought I needed at the time. And I decided I was going to learn how to film my friends and myself dancing, well, basically, after like six months of trying to figure the whole thing out, I started to enjoy the filmmaking more than I was enjoying the actual dancing side of it. Uh, and that just kind of sent me down a kind of like this like nonstop, just like information overload, because I'm definitely someone who loves to learn and learn new things. And I want to say it was probably about when I discovered Film Riot, which I'm not sure if you know what Film Riot yeah, is. Yeah, Film Riot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I discovered Film Riot on YouTube, and I figured out when I found Film Riot that I could learn how to make videos on the internet, and I didn't need to go to school for it. I could learn everything I needed to know from the internet, and that's when everything changed for me. I think I binge-watched like every episode they had up to that point, I made every possible DIY stabilizer or jib or gimbal or whatever. Uh, actually, gimbals didn't even exist back then. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I basically created everything I could and learned everything I could online and just made stuff for fun. And that's really how I kind of got into it. A lot of my first videos I ever shot were all dance videos. That's all I used to make when I was uh -huh. getting started. Uh, and I mean, obviously, things have evolved since then, but... But yeah, that's kind of how I got initially started. Nice, nice. So basically you you were doing something that you like to do, but during that period, you basically found that passion for filmmaking along with dance. So were you dancing at the same time uh, with the group from time to time yeah. or were you just filming yeah. full time? No, I mean, I, I danced with the group. I mean, I used to do performances. I used to travel. I used to do it professionally. Mm -hmm. um, and you learn very quickly that it's hard to be in front of the camera and behind the camera at the same time. 
Right. Um, and you can try to hand your camera to someone else, but their vision isn't the same as your vision. And especially when you're very new to the whole thing, you don't even know what you don't know, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. you're trying to discover shots and trying to have someone else do it for you because you want to be in front of the camera. And that whole process is very difficult. So I just realized that like, I knew what I wanted. I knew what I wanted the shots to look like. And so it was easier to just stay behind the camera. And from there, I learned things like editing and I learned about color and I learned about lighting and, and just everything else that goes into making a really good video. And that started consuming so much of just my creative outlet that dance slowly just started to kind of weed itself out on its own naturally uh, as I started to pursue just this new love of filmmaking. Okay, gotcha. Well, that's awesome because usually, usually that tends to happen. I mean, you're doing something that you love to do, but that may not be like your primary passion. And But in doing so, you eventually find that one thing that you love to do. And for you, that's filmmaking. Yeah, I think a lot of people put almost a little bit too much of an emphasis on passion. Mm -hmm. um, just because like passions come and go, you know, and mm -hmm. I think that you can be passionate about one thing, and then that can lead you to something else. And then that can lead you to something else. And it can be ever changing. You know, I think if you try to say like, this is my passion, and you try to stick to it, too much to a T, you could miss out on another passion or something else that you would love, maybe even more so. I mean, I tell a lot of people that, you know, I love filmmaking, but I didn't find filmmaking until dance. And now I love photography as well, but I didn't find photography until I found filmmaking, you know? Okay. Uh, and so like there's things, there's these paths that you kind of go on as a creator and as a creative person that you know that you just kind of find them and you just let yourself kind of be fluid with them don't i don't really try to put myself too much into a box with it i mean a lot of people don't know this but i also love to paint i mean i love painting but not just like on a canvas but i like painting like on shoes like i like to customize shoes i don't really share that that much but you know that's another creative outlet for me and you know i just because i mean yes i love filmmaking and now filmmaking is my job and it is something that i'm passionate about but i mean i'm lots of different things really myself to get you know too much enclosed into a creative box okay i mean you kind of cut out there for a second but um i think what you were saying is you know keep an open mind um try new things and always experiment you yeah, know don't don't absolutely. don't stay one-minded right is that what you're saying yeah absolutely i say let your creativity just let it grow like a vine and follow it wherever it takes you awesome that's great advice that's great advice because um from what i noticed you know sometimes you tend to stick to one thing that the the next best thing might be right next to you, might be right in front of you. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I love that. That's, that's awesome. So, I mean, you, you were talking about, um, starting filming through dance. Now, how did you carry that over into a career? What was the first 
what was the first paid job that you had as a filmmaker? So um, I think, I mean, realistically, I think one of my first paid jobs was probably a wedding, like mm-hmm. probably most filmmakers. Um, but I learned very early on that I hate shooting weddings and I wasn't a big fan of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that was at the beginning because honestly, I didn't really know what I was doing and they were a lot of work. They were really hard and I wasn't very good at them at first. Um, and now in my opinion, like, you know, back then I thought that was the only way a filmmaker could make money. Um, but then there was, uh, the, the big turning point and kind of what drove me to where I am today was, um, there was a, I think it was like Memorial day or labor day or some, some holiday like that. And I wanted my family to be able to go on vacation and, um, you know, we weren't like super well off and didn't just have a ton of money put to the side. So I decided I was going to reach out to some people through this website called HomeAway, which is basically like Airbnb, Airbnb today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just started reaching out to people and I was just like, hey, can I come and take video of your house that you can use to market your listing mm-hmm. and in exchange? Let us come stay at your place for free. Um, just a way to kind of save some money on the vacation. Right. And one of the people I reached out to was like, this is a great idea. I love this, but I have four properties. Can you and your family come stay for a week? And can you shoot all four properties? Wow. And it turned out to be like this awesome experience. It honestly only took me like two days to shoot the, you know, the, the four properties. Mm-hmm. But then we were able to stay at whatever property we wanted to over the course of that weekend and that in the rest of that week. And that changed everything because from there I came back, you know, after vacation, made the videos, posted them on Facebook. And, you know, immediately I had real estate agents saying, how do I get this? How do I hire you? I want to have you come do this for my property. And I quickly realized that there was value to my videos. Um, And that basically like, you know, that kind of changed everything for me because from at that point before then, I didn't realize why people would pay a videographer. Like, why Mm -hmm. would you pay someone to make a video? Like, you're just doing this for fun. Like, I Mm -hmm. only did it for fun. But I realized that there was value in video. And the value that I found was to other companies and how they could use video to market themselves or market their product or in this case, their houses. And that's basically kind of what changed everything for me was that moment when um, I was able to go and do that listing in exchange for a free vacation. Very cool. So basically what I got out of that was you, because what you did, instead of just looking at, okay, what can I get for just money, exchange for money, you looked at the bigger picture and you said, maybe there's another way that we can form some exchange for my skills for, you know, staying in those, um, those homes. So that was, that was really, that's a really good idea. And I think that's something that, you know, a lot of videographers, creatives should keep in mind, right? Because there's different avenues, different avenues to start out. Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it, especially if you're early on and you're a beginner, 
Um, you know, a lot of videographers have this notion that they shouldn't work for free, which I mean, when you're first starting out, you got to build a resume, you got to build, you know, it's just like an internship, like anybody else, when they go to school, they got to get internships. But when you are starting off as a videographer, you probably going to do a couple jobs for free. But if you want to get, you know, really smart about it, so that way it's not a total loss to you and your time, you know, people like to, you know, offer up deals all the time. I mean, I've shot from, you know, when I was first starting out, I shot, you know, events and got access to events for free, you know, or, or if I wanted to shoot a concert and get, you know, shoot for one artist, but then I had access to the entire concert for the rest of the evening to see the headliner. Mm -hmm. Then I got that access, you know, you get backstage passes or whatever, you know, there's a lot of different avenues and there's a lot of value that your video can bring. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the only thing I say is that when you're looking for those things, you know, make sure you pick something that actually holds some value to you. So that way you feel like you are getting something out of it. Um, but I mean, I, I, you know, I do something similar at my gym. Like I shoot for a gym and in exchange for a discount on the videos that I do for them, they gave me a membership. Now that's, you know, I, I, my membership should cost like a hundred and some odd dollars a month, but I don't pay that. You know, my wife, works out at the same gym as I do. Mm -hmm. It's it's a value for the entire family. And I look at that as not, you don't always have to think about money coming in. You can also be thinking about money saved because money saved holds the same value, especially if that was going to be money going out either way. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. There's a lot of different avenues. And um, like you said, it's, it's important to keep that in mind. The, the money saved aspect is, is uh is very very cool very interesting now um want to backtrack just a little bit because i know you said you started out with weddings i also started out doing weddings and i think that's i think that's a great learning experience whether you end up not doing it later on or you continue doing it in your filmmaking career i mean what what is like because i made a bunch of mistakes and, and i'm sure you did too especially when you start out right I mean, what yeah. what is what are some of the things that you you learned uh, filming weddings that later on helped you filming now? Uh, contracts are extremely important, um, and get your money early and upfront. Um, I got burned in multiple weddings, uh, two weddings in particular. Um, got burned for for not having contracts you know and expecting people to do the right thing and unfortunately you know we live in a world where people sometimes don't do the right thing um and you know coming out putting in full days time you know telling them exactly what they're gonna get and then they either didn't want to pay like at all in one situation wow. um because they i guess the money got spent up somewhere else and they just didn't want to tell me until we were done <laughs> Um, or in the other one, having, you know, a client who's asking for more, asking for more and saying, I'm not going to pay until I get this and I get that. Um, and I learned that, you know, contracts are a sign of maturity and a sign of, I mean, not only does it protect you legally, but people don't tend to mess with you or try to mess over you when you come to the table with a contract. Mm -hmm. um also you know very clearly what's expected of you and it can hold you to accountable as well you know i don't i'm never gonna sit back and say that i was perfect when i was first getting started um 
But little things that you can have in your contract can definitely save you a lot of headaches. And I learned those the hard way, you know. I, I look back on it now and I say, you know, that was a couple thousand dollar lesson that I learned. Um, but would I, you know, I would I would easily, if I, let's say that didn't happen, I would have probably ended up paying more for that lesson later on. Um, mm. So it was definitely worth the lesson back then. I mean, obviously, if you'd have asked me on that day, I was a livid and I was, you know, <laughs> I was very upset about the whole situation, but now mm -hmm. as someone who's older and who has a business that's more established, uh, I look at that as you know a thousand dollar lesson or a two thousand dollar lesson, and say it was worth it. It was worth it was worth the price because I made that mistake. You know, like I said, it happened to me twice. One wasn't as bad as the other, but lessons, and I haven't had to deal with those anymore. So awesome. I mean, you kind of broke up there, but. Um, yeah, I, basically it's, it's good to, even if you make mistakes, it's, it's good to do them early and learn from them. I mean, w would you say so? Yeah. I mean, the truth is, is as filmmakers, we're going to constantly make mistakes. Things are always going to change. Um, like I mentioned earlier, when I first got started, gimbals didn't exist. So, you know, I have sliders, I have a jib, um, which I don't even know if people even use jibs anymore <laughs> because now gimbals can do what jibs could do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's certain mistakes that you'll make, like buying gear that you think is a good buy and you don't realize it. So, you know, mistakes are going to happen regardless throughout your entire career. It's more so what you choose to do after you make that mistake, how you choose to learn from it and make sure you don't make that same mistake again. Um, that's really going to make the difference if you're successful or not. And if you take ownership for those mistakes, like I said, I don't blame those people. I say it was a thousand, two thousand dollar lesson that I learned. And I think it was worth it because like I said, I wasn't perfect back then either. Um, but I take ownership. You know, I didn't have the contracts that I needed. That's on me. So regardless to what happened, it's on me. And so I take that ownership. Yeah, that's uh that's a very important lesson. And I and I'm glad that, you know, you were mature enough at that time to understand that I mean, obviously it kinda hurt at that time, but you know, thinking about it now, the way you handled it was very mature. And I think, you know, that that says a lot for you know how you're starting to build up success up to today in your filmmaking um you know that that's that's really really cool to hear now i want to also talk about networking because i know you talked about talking to the real estate agents and things like that but also in terms of just collaborating with others, collaborating with other, have you been able to collaborate with other um, creatives, other filmmakers? Um, I definitely try my best. I mean, there's obviously the hand few, um, you know, like Justin Revis, who I've done collaborations with on YouTube. Um, mm -hmm. The guys over at Kino Tika with Dave Altizer, you know, I've done some collaborations with them. Um, and there's other YouTubers who I, you know, we're on email bases, you know, obviously we're not like best friends. Um, but, 
you know, I, I definitely try my best to reach out to other creators. The internet definitely makes that easier, which mm -hmm. is nice. But one thing is you can try to do collaborations, which collaborations are great. Um, but you shouldn't let that stop you from creating overall. Like based just based on where I am here in Houston, there's not a lot of creators who do what I do as far as a YouTuber. Um, there are a handful of like beauty YouTubers. There's like a whole group of like girl beauty YouTubers out here, but that's not what I do. And so collaborating with them, even though they do have followers and I have followers, it's pointless because our audiences are not the same. Uh, and so, you know, I've even had some of them reach out to me and say, hey, do you want to do a collaboration, shoot a video for me, and then I'll shout you out on my channel. And some of them have fairly large channels, but their audience doesn't care about video. They care about beauty. That's why they follow them. And so I don't believe in just collaborating with just anyone and everyone. I like collaborating with people who have audiences that are similar to mine. So that way there's a value proposition for each audience. And so that's that's really the way that I like to do it. And um, so when it comes to collaborations on YouTube, you know, I pretty much try to only collaborate with other people who are in the filmmaking industry or who care about the filmmaking industry or who audience cares about the filmmaking industry, because that's primarily the subject matter of my channel. That makes a lot of sense. How about networking? for business um in terms of right now how do you advertise how do you advertise how do you network um to get more clients you know i will honestly say that i am very blessed in that i don't have to do much advertisement um i learned very early on that it only takes about five or six really good clients to make a successful business uh, due to the fact that if you can have five or six, when I say good clients, I mean clients that you enjoy working with, who pay you on time, and who give you projects that you actually enjoy doing. Uh, and so having five or six of those really good clients has kept me well off and well enough employed. But then the nice thing is when you have those five or six good clients, the other thing and kind of that wow factor that you want from them is that they will then recommend you and send you more business. And that has basically been how my business has been so successful. It, it comes from doing great work for a handful of people, and then they tell more people. You know, my advertisements are the videos that I complete for my clients because then they tell their friend who's also a real estate agent or they tell their friend who's a business owner. Because the one thing I learned is that like-minded people run together. And so if you are going after, let's say, a gym owner, for example, gym owners typically talk to other gym owners or other business owners. You know, real estate agents normally talk to other real estate agents. And so when they see, you know, their friend doing something brand new in the video world, they like it. They're going to ask them, hey, who did that video for you? And if you got yourself a good client, they'll give your name out. So that's honestly how I've been able to, to do it. I mean, I've run ads before on Facebook and I've run ads on Instagram um, and they do give some return, but nothing gives return like a referral. And the best part about a referral is it's free. Now, I typically, when I get a referral, 
I'll send that person like a thank you, you know, a gift card, Starbucks, you know, I have a couple of them who really love golf. So I'll give them like a, you know, um, I may give them a gift card to Top Golf or to the PGA store or even just like uh, Dick Sporting Goods or Academy or something like that. Um, but for the most part, you know, referrals are free and they hold way more weight than any ad on Facebook ever will. So basically with the, the, um, those gifts, those thank you letters that you provide back to the ones that have provided the referrals, I mean, that's, that's a way to foster those relationships. Is there any other ways that, or like, how important is it to you to keep fostering those relationships? Because what I've noticed is there's, you know, some filmmakers um, or young filmmakers, I would say, that are just starting out and they think, okay, I'm going to do this project for this company or this person and that's it. But the key is to keep fostering those relationships, keep building those relationships. I mean, how important is it to you to keep fostering those relationships with the clients that you have? I think it's the most important thing, honestly. I mean, the way I look at it is I would rather be five people's go-to guy who every time they need photography, every time they need video, I'm the only person they're going to call. If it doesn't work for my schedule, they will reschedule. And I have clients who are like that. I have clients who they call me and they're like, hey, can you shoot on Tuesday? And I'm like, I can't shoot Tuesday, but I can shoot Thursday. And they say, okay, we'll rework it for Thursday. That's the way... I find that my business is the most successful because when you have that, you have clients who use you consistently. You're not out there fighting for new clients every single week. You don't have to really think about marketing. Like I don't really think about marketing for myself. I don't have like a marketing budget um, because it's not really important to me to find new clients. In all honesty, I hate new clients. Like, I would rather just have my same clients and keep working for them over and over again, because when you have a new client, you got to build a brand new relationship, you got to foster something brand new, you've got somebody's, you got someone who, you know, you don't really know what they like and what they don't like, and you got to try to make your video fit their vision, but also fit your vision. And that can be very stressful. And I typically find that new clients can be very stressful. So I rather like, Honestly, there are times where I have clients, I bring them on and I do one for them. Like this actually happened like two or three weeks ago. I had a client, I brought them on. I, it was a brand new client and someone referred them to me and I shot for them. And I honestly didn't care for them like as a client, like I didn't care for them as a client. And so when they called me back to, you know, do another project, I was like, I'm going to pass. And it's because I want clients who are the best clients. And those are the clients, like I said already, who I like working for them. They give me cool projects that I enjoy doing. And, you know, they pay well and they pay on time. And though I'm not, it's, you know, as much as the service that we are providing as videographers, it is also a service to ourselves to make sure that we are working with the people that we want to be working for. Um, because, I mean, there's a lot of work out there. I mean, there's a whole lot of video work out there to be done. 
And so I try to find the perfect clients that fit my business. And I want to keep those relationships really good. And so I communicate with them, you know, I, you know, whether that's sending them a thank you card or sending them a Christmas card at the end of the year, or if I haven't heard from them in about a month, just calling them and checking in on them and see how their business is going. Um, you know, little things like that. So that way I don't have to continuously look for new clients. I'd rather just keep working with the same people over and over again. Yeah, that's that's a lot of great stuff that you just said there. I mean, even, even the fact that you just said that, you know, if a client does not, if you feel like a client is not working well with you, you know, having the, the, uh, the confidence to just say, Hey, you know, I won't be able to do this. This is not going to work out and then just move on. You know, I feel like, um, some videographers or filmmakers starting out will just do everything and anything and just get clients just to get clients. But, fostering relationships from what I take from what you're saying is, you know, very important, especially having that small group that you work well with. Yeah. I think a lot of us really love this, right? Like if you're a filmmaker, you, you have to really love this. Cause let's be honest, filmmaking is not a get rich quick screen. Like you're not going to get rich quick doing filmmaking. You're going to spend a ton of money on gear. It's going to take a lot to learn it. And you know, so it's not like something that people are rushing to, to just make a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. um, but with that said, you got to love filmmaking in order to do it. And if you're going to do something that you love as a career, you should love the entire process. You should love filming. You should love editing. You should also love your clients. And if you're spending half your day dealing with a client that you don't really care for, then it starts to become a burden. But that burden doesn't just live with that client. It starts to then spill into filmmaking as a whole. And then you start realizing, I don't like what I'm doing anymore. I don't enjoy this anymore. The passion's gone. When the truth is, is that the passion is not gone. The passion has just become toxic. And sometimes it's toxic because of a bad client. And that is something that I had to learn. I mean, this isn't something I knew early on at the very beginning, you know, it, it can become, it can become toxic because of a bad client. And just to kind of go full circle, I mentioned at the beginning that when I first started doing weddings, I hated them, right? Now I do about maybe five to six weddings a year, but I'm very picky about the weddings that I take. I typically only will take a wedding if somebody I know refers me and they're going to be at the wedding. And that's because I learned that it wasn't shooting weddings that I hated. It was how toxic the interaction could be with the bride or how toxic it could be with the family or how toxic it could be around the money issue. Mm -hmm. Well, once I figured out that I can shoot weddings for people that I like, I can take care of the money issue by getting proper contracts, you know, I can handle all of the, you know, legit, like all the, um, all the logistical stuff up front, the actual showing up with my camera and telling a story and then editing that story to music. That's what I love doing. I enjoy that part, but it was the, the idea of shooting a wedding and some of the clients that I worked with, it's what made it toxic 
and made me hate shooting weddings for so long. And that was just something that I had to learn. And even no matter what you shoot, you know, whether you're shooting for celebrities, which I've shot for celebrities before, you know, people who are famous and they have big names and all that stuff, they can be toxic too. Like just because they have millions of followers doesn't make them any less toxic, you know? And, and, and people who say, you know, you can come shoot for experience. Like for me, that's one of the most toxic things ever. Like, <laughs> Like, and you laugh because you probably have heard that before. Like, yeah. oh, this would be great exposure for you. Like, everyone loves that E-word, like exposure. I hate exposure. Exposure is toxic sometimes. So, you know, it's things like that that I've learned that sometimes it's not necessarily what we're shooting that we don't like. Sometimes it's just something that's toxic within it. And a lot of times that could be the client itself. And mm -hmm. being confident and able to say, like, you know, I appreciate you reaching out to me, but I'm going to pass on this job. You know, or I don't think one of my favorite responses is, I don't know if I'm the best videographer for this project. That's a very polite business professional way of saying, I don't want to work with you. Mm -hmm. Right. But you just say, I don't know if I'm the right videographer for this project. And typically people will then get the hint. There are some who then push back and say, well, I really want you. Can I get you? And then if they do or if they are like that, they're typically not very toxic. Typically they're willing to work with you and make it work how you need it to work. But at the end of the day, we're still artists. We're still right. creators. And so we don't want to have a toxic environment because then we'll ultimately hate doing what already brings us so much joy. Mm -hmm. That's true. I mean, as much as, you know, filmmaking and making videos is an art, you know, doing it, it's, it's also you're in the people business as well. I mean, would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime you are taking money from someone else, you are in the people business. Right. And fostering those relationships is, you know, just as important. And even, you know, like you said, having the confidence and to, to say, Hey, you know, this is probably not going to be the best. Um, probably not going to be the best. I'm probably not going to be the best, um, you know, videographer for your job. Um, like you said, you know, that's, that shows maturity as well. So that's yeah, and, very good points. Yeah, they typically are okay with it. Most people are okay with it. And if sure. they if they do get angry or they get mad at you for it, like take that as a sign that you made the right choice because <laughs> right. they're probably not someone you want to work with anyway. Mm -hmm. Exactly. My thoughts. I don't know. That's my yeah. two cents. No, I love it. I love it because, um, you know, that's, that's also a very important aspect of what you shared um, in terms of filmmaking and making videos for clients. Now, I, I also, um, you know, heard you talking about stories, um, telling stories through video um, when you're talking about weddings, but that also applies to all projects. And, you know, you're always telling a story. Um, for you, you know, how, how do you see the importance of story in making video? Because there's gear and people focus on gear, which is great. But uh, for you, would you say you know story takes um, story takes precedence over gear? Um, absolutely. I would say that. I mean, if you're creating anything, the story is the most important thing. I mean, even down to my YouTube videos are informative. You know, they are designed to be informative, but. I have story beats in just about all my videos that I try to keep to. Um, 
and I study story. I study story a lot, um, you know, and I don't just try to study them from like other YouTubers. Um, actually, recently, um, I've stopped watching a lot of YouTubers just because I find that a lot of people's content looks the same. And I think it's because we're all watching the same stuff. We're all watching YouTube. And <laughs> so true. all of our all of our videos look like other YouTubers videos. Um, I think I actually watched a video on that same topic like a couple weeks or months ago or something like that. Mm -hmm. But um, I study story from movies. I study stories from TV shows, from sitcoms, um, you know, because everything in a story is based on cause and effect, right? Everything is based on cause and effect. This happened, therefore this happened, therefore this happened, therefore this happened. Um, and that, that makes a great story. And I think that, you know, when you're out there, whether you're shooting something that's scripted, which obviously it's a little bit easier mm -hmm. versus shooting a documentary or shooting like an interview should be looking for the cause and effect, because it's the effect that lets you know that a story is happening. Like when someone, like when you're telling someone a story, you initially open up with what's what people need to know to understand what's coming later right? right anytime you tell a story about something that happened if let's say it's something as simple as you got in a car accident mm -hmm. you're gonna say man i was driving down the highway in my own lane driving the speed limit right that's all set up mm -hmm. and then you then hit them with and this car came out of nowhere and just t-boned me right you, you're, there's always a setup and a payoff, a cause and effect. And so mm -hmm. whenever it comes to story, I'm always thinking of those same things. You know, I actually finished a video that I'm going to be releasing tomorrow mm -hmm. and it's just about a lens, right? It's about a, my new favorite lens that I got a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. but there's a setup of, there's a problem with a lot of wide angle lenses, right? There's a setup that even in, even in just instruction, the setup is a lot of wide angle lenses suck because they're too soft around the edges mm -hmm. or they're distorted or, you know, whatever the issue is with wide angle lenses that I went over in my video. Mm -hmm. And then the payoff is this lens solves all those problems. Simple story, but even through instruction, I try to maintain story. Yeah, so basically um, what what you're trying to say is story there's there's no one set story structure. I mean, obviously there's a, a, a story structure, but there's different ways to tell stories what I'm saying. Right. I mean, as long as your story has some type of setup and payoff, mm -hmm. I think you're telling a story. Yeah. I mean, like I mean, in both examples, they're very simple stories. You know, you're not, I mean, it's not like a three act structure or, or anything like right. that, but you know, you, you can do a three act structure and that's fine. But I think as a filmmaker, as long as you're thinking, what is the story here? You're telling a story. Yep. If you just are thinking, I'm going to go get cool visuals, that may be fine too, but that might be the story. You know, the story might be, we're going to go and get some sick visuals. And then the mm -hmm. payoff is, did you get sick visuals? Like it could be as simple as that, but as yeah. long as you're thinking, you know, what is the story? You're going to probably be telling somewhat of a story. Gotcha. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. 
So touching upon YouTube. Now, before this, I know you said that your parents are teachers. And mm-hmm. you really enjoy teaching as well. You know, how how did your parents influence you and your teaching and how did you carry that over into YouTube? So when my parents were teachers, I never thought I wanted to teach. I actually hated school. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I still hate school. Um, but the internet is different. The internet is totally new. It like you're not teaching, like I'm not teaching math. I'm not teaching, you know, science, uh, which can be cool things, I guess. I don't know. That's not my thing, but I'm teaching filmmaking which is what I love, which the way I look at it is I am teaching the things that I wish somebody had taught me when I first got started. Like Film Riot changed everything for me. I want to be that for someone else. Like that's legitimately the way I look at it. It's just my way of paying it back forward mm-hmm. is I just want to teach the things that I wish I would have known when I was starting. You know, film, you know, teaching for me is it's fun. I enjoy it. I enjoy interacting with people. Uh, I enjoy, you know, communicating as I, I'm not sure if we said it in this since we started recording or if I said it before we got started, but, you know, live stream is something that I'm really looking into and I've been investing time and money and energy figuring it out because I think when it comes to teaching live stream is that next level it will allow me to really connect with people in the moment and they can ask me questions and I can answer them. You know, mm-hmm. the, the the biggest hiccup I find with my YouTube videos now is I sit down, I shoot the video, I edit it, I publish it and I'm happy with it. And then like five seconds later, somebody asked me a very basic question that I'm like, why didn't I just put that in the video? Mm-hmm. And I think live streaming will allow me to fix that issue and allow me to really connect with people. And that's what I like most about it is, you know, the internet allows you to connect with people all over the world who are wanting to learn what you're teaching versus school is typically a bunch of people who are being forced to learn something that they may not even be interested in. Uh, and so although, yes, both my parents were teachers and I saw how they taught, you know, my dad teaches in Los Angeles. My mom teaches here in Houston. Mm-hmm. And I saw their teaching styles. I was in their classrooms. And, you know, that definitely rubbed off on me. And seeing some of the impacts that they did have with their students is just now in a totally different median on a totally different platform. I'm not necessarily in a classroom mm-hmm. Monday through Friday. I'm doing it online for people who are interested in the topics that I want to teach. Very cool. So it's basically, you're, you're still teaching to a, a class, I guess, but it's a large class. <laughs> it's a little internet. it's a little larger than, than maybe the students that they yeah. had. The internet, <laughs> the internet comes with its advantages for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. Now, um, in terms of like your shoots now, like I, I I know that you talked about the projects that you've done. Um, but what do you currently do now? Do you have like a uh, a niche, um, a specific specific types of projects that you do? Do you do corporate? Do you do um, what what types of projects do you often do now? 
Um, I would probably say that as far as like my production business goes, um, I am mostly doing corporate work. Um, I like working for companies, business owners, that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. um, simply because it's easier for me. It it fits my boat. Um, Now, to to say that I do venture out every now and again, like I shoot a handful of concerts a year. Um, I shoot a handful of weddings a year. Um, you know, from time to time, I might pick up an event, something mm-hmm. like that. But the primary business that I'm doing is mostly commercial type work, working directly with business owners, whether they are restaurant owners or they are real estate agents or, you know, they own a legal firm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I primarily shoot for companies. That's really more so where my niche is and what I enjoy doing. Very cool. Now, I know you talked about, you know, telling the story, putting that together, and then adding that into how you make videos for clients, but also to that, the tools to create those pieces of art, those videos for your clients, you need gear. So I know you do a lot of tech reviews, um, a lot of instructional videos on your channel. Um, the one question I get a lot is how do you know when it's time to, you know, upgrade? How do you know when it's time to get a certain gear? How do you judge that? What is your take on that? I'm the worst person to ask this question to. <laughs> um, because like a lot of people watch my channel and like I've had people say like, oh, it must be nice that so-and-so sent you this or, you know, whatever. I buy all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it's 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 terrible. It's a, it's a very bad disease that I have <laughs> um, because I spend way too much money on gear. And it that like if it solves an issue for me, Mm-hmm. Is that's when it's even worse because then I can justify it. Mm-hmm. And since being on YouTube, it's even worse because I can justify everything and say, oh, I'll make a YouTube video on it. And then there you go. <laughs> like, it's totally worth it. Um, but what I would say to like the average person, if you are thinking about buying something in strictly for business, right? Not because you want it, but for business. The way I look at it is, will it save you time that will then save you money. So for example, um, you know, a computer versus let's let's say are you gonna buy a three thousand dollar computer or three thousand dollar camera and lens, right? If I was gonna tell someone between buying the two, which one is gonna save you more time and which one's gonna save you more money? Well, when it comes to a computer, you can't rent a computer, but if your computer is fast, it has the best hard drive, it has the best processor, it has the most RAM, that's gonna save you a ton of time in editing. And that time compounds every time you make another video, right? Mm -hmm. But that camera and that lens, that's really not gonna save you any time or any money. Now you may think, and this is the, the big falsity that every filmmaker has is that if I have a better camera, I can get better clients. That's not true. Like, that's just not true. Like, if you are really bad at getting clients, owning a red 
is not going to help you get any more clients. Like, because if you're not good at shopping out yourself already, having a better camera is not going to make you any better at shopping your stuff out. You may be able to run around saying, hey, I own a red, hey, I own a red, but no one's going to care until you tell them what you can do with it. Mm -hmm. So I think that when it comes to buying gear, it should be about what's going to save you time, which then ultimately saves you money. Because as a filmmaker, our time is the most valuable thing we have. Because our time, we use our time to be creative. We use our time to edit. We use our time to actually make what makes us money. But our time is also valuable when it comes to spending time with our families, being able to use that time outside. So if you have to spend four hours on a video because your computer takes forever to process it, to edit it, or you could spend $3,000 and get that video done in two hours instead of four, that's worth it to me. That's absolutely worth it. After you have the basic necessities that you need, a camera, some lenses, a computer, you know, maybe a couple lights and some audio equipment. Once you have the basic necessities, then it just becomes, if you have the money and you want to upgrade, go for it. You know, I had a Mavic Pro. I saw the new one came out. I upgraded. I wanted it. You know, I like the extra specs on it. And I could do that comfortably without hurting my business. You should never put yourself in the red. Obviously, you should never like, this is the other falsity. I don't have any debt. I have absolutely zero debt. I have no credit cards. So everything I buy, I buy cash. And that really forces you to know if something is worth buying or not. I mean, I've had my eye on the Canon C200 Mm -hmm. for a very long time. And I have the cash to buy it. But knowing that I'm going to give out, you know, 7,000, 8,000, however much it is, to get that camera makes me really think, what will having that camera really do for me? I'm not gonna get any more clients. It's not really gonna save me that much time. So are the are the benefits that I'm gonna maybe get from them, are they gonna really be worth me losing $7,000 in cash? And as of right now for me, they're not. So that's why I haven't bought it. So I think if you, you know, for people who are buying gear, when you're buying it cash, it really forces you to think, is this really going to save me time or is it going to really save me money? And in most cases, if it's not, then it's not worth it. But if you have the cash and you want something, I'm all for it. I tell people, if you want it and you know I'm buying this because I want it for no other reason than I want it, if you can be that honest with yourself and still buy it, Go for it. Yeah, that advice is is great. And I think, you know, that's... I'm glad that you touch upon all those, you know, falsities because, you know, young filmmakers starting out, that's what they think. You know, the gear will get them better clients or more clients and trying to spend on something... When you don't really have the money um, and you're putting on credit, you know, can lead you down a, a dark hole. So, yeah, you always want to you always want to own the gear. You never want the gear to own you. I like that. And and, that, and that's 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 something that I, I mean, that's how I live my entire life. Like I said, I have no debt. I have no credit cards. You know, I don't believe in debt. I don't like debt. I've had it in the past. I got out of it. 
And if you want to have a successful life and a life with a whole lot less stress, um, get rid of credit card debt immediately. Whatever that means, get rid of it. Trust me, you will thank me in the future. I'm just saying. Awesome. Now, um, we're hitting the home stretch now. So I just want to ask you, you know, what, what is your, what's your why? Why do you continue to film? My why is my family. It's, it's really that, I mean, I don't have any other, I don't really have anything other than that, honestly. Like, I mean, I strive for what I strive for because of my family. I mean, this isn't like a story that I've really told anyone before, but um, like me and my my wife now, like we had our first son when I was 19, like super young, right? Mm-hmm. And I had a decision to make at 19, which is right around the same time that we uh, went on that vacation, um, was that did I want to pursue filmmaking? because it's a very expensive hobby. I mean, filmmaking as a hobby sucks just because it costs so much. I mean, the gear costs a lot, lenses cost a lot, lights cost a lot. Like you just can't do it as a hobby really the way I wanted to do it because it was gonna cost so much money. Mm -hmm. And I had to devote myself to a career path. I mean, at 19, I mean, I know a lot of people at 19, they just wanna party, go to college, all that good stuff. Um, I had responsibility, I had a kid, I'd take care of a kid. And so I had to decide, am I going to make filmmaking my life's work and really pursue it? Because I was at a point where I was either going to have to give it up or I was going to have to work really hard to make it happen. And I chose to work really hard to make it happen. Now my son is six. I'm 26. Yeah, I'm 26. Mm -hmm. And, you know, six years later, it was the best decision I ever made. It was still very hard, you know, it was a very hard decision to make, but, and it's been very hard to become successful at it, but it's worth it. You know, now I make my own schedule, you know, my son plays t-ball, I can coach his t-ball team and make the practices at whatever time I want to make them because I don't have to worry about a boss telling me when I can and cannot get off work. Mm -hmm. You know, it was everything that I had to do and all the sacrifices that I had to make were worth it. And they all started from when my son was born and when that time happened in my life. And and that is my why, you know, on the days where I am exhausted and I am tired and I don't want to edit or, you know, or I don't feel like taking extra gigs or, you know, whatever the case may be, my family is what drives me. You know, they are what keeps me going and they are, what makes me, you know, some days I come in and I mean, let's face it, filmmaking is fun and it's a great job and I love it, but some days are not the best days ever. Like you're still going to have those days that are tough. You're still going to have those days where things maybe don't go right, or you may have a client that doesn't like your stuff and you have to fix it or whatever. Like it's Mm -hmm. not going to just be perfect every single day, but on those few days where things are not perfect, and things aren't going the right way, I come home and I see my family and everything is fixed. And so that is absolutely my why. My why for life has is just my family 
and the focus that my family brings to me. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I like that. I like that a lot. That's 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 something that, you know, you don't really see a lot because that's behind the scenes, you know, that's, that's, and I'm glad that you said your family because that's something that's past filmmaking. It's something that's more, it's something that's special and close to your heart and something that drives you to, you know, be a better father, be a better husband. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that you shared that. Yeah. I think you have to, you have to root yourself in something that is bigger than you because you will undoubtedly fail. I mean, we're all human, right? Mm-hmm. We're all going to have bad days. We're all going to fail. And if our why is about us, when you fail, your why also fails, right? Because if your why is you, like, oh, if your why is, oh, I just love being super creative because it, it fills me with joy. Well, if your why is just you, unfortunately, those are the people who I typically see, and I'm not saying this is for everyone, but those are the people who I typically see who when they start or they start to feel that they are failing, they spiral out of control because they have nothing else to latch on to. And when your why is bigger than you, if it's family, if it's, you know, religion, if it's, you know, a friendship, you know, whatever it is, it could be, you know, you know, an organization or something. Mm -hmm. If your why is bigger than who you are, when you fail, you have something to fail onto. You have something to root yourself in and to, to kind of drive your hooks into to get you out of whatever that rut is and picking something that is strong and something that is something that you can grab a hold on to. Like for me, it's my family, you know, having that makes it easier on those days where things aren't very good because, you know, the big, the big lie or the big falsity in filmmaking is that we're well, just making videos. You should have fun every single day. Right. And as we've already mentioned, it can get toxic. And we try our best to not let it get toxic by picking the right clients, by picking the right shoots, by doing all the right things. But unfortunately, sometimes certain things just don't work out the way we want them to. And when those things happen, having a strong why, like for me, my family, it allows you to kind of get back on track and to kind of get yourself back up to a point where you can clear out the toxic and get back to things being well. But knowing that if something happens again, you have that why something to grab onto. Yeah. I love that message. That's very powerful. Now, going back to when you were starting out your younger self, what is one piece of advice that you wish you were given back then that you've learned now? Hmm. One piece of advice? Mm-hmm. For the young Brandon starting out with filmmaking. I would probably tell myself, work twice as hard and anything you want, go get it yourself because no one's ever going to give you anything. 
you know, I used to think that if I made really cool videos and I posted them, that somebody would magically see them and want to hire me. Or, you know, I used to think that if I made, um, you know, if I, if I worked really hard at making the best content possible that, you know, just posting it was going to be good enough. Um, and I've learned that that's not the case. People are not going to just come and discover you. You've got to make yourself discoverable. And that could be, you know, going out and meeting clients just on a whim, just walking indoors. That could be, you know, um, emailing people, cold emailing them. Um, or it could be as simple as figuring out a way to make sure that your videos are in a place where they can be viewed and you can be discovered. It's not just about posting. It's about making sure that you can be discovered. And just that's probably what I would tell myself is just work twice as hard and make sure that, you know, you don't expect anyone to discover you go make yourself discoverable. And I think that's what I've done in just in the past couple years. That's really changed everything for me is I stopped waiting on people to find me and I started put, positioning myself in front of the people that I want to be positioned in front of. Nice. I mean, basically what I take from that is um, you have to put in the effort. You know, if, if you know... I don't know if you hear the plane, but there's yeah, a plane going over. Yeah, sorry. But um, you have to put in the effort and have a purpose behind what you're trying to accomplish. You can't just be doing it, you know, just for the sake of doing it. You have to do it because there's something that you want to achieve next and help you grow as an individual. All right. And you got to go and get it. I mean, no mm -hmm. one's going to give it to you. There's right. too many people on this earth and there's probably a handful of them that want the exact same thing that you want. And the only difference is going to be someone's going to outwork someone else and someone's going to get it and the rest of them are not. And if you're willing to outwork those people and go get it, then it'll, then you'll have it, but no one's going to go grab it and hand, hand it over to you. That's just not mm -hmm. the way the world works. If you want clients, you got to go get those clients. They're not just going to come crawling to you. Now, after years and years of hard work and you've gone after some of those clients and yeah, things may get a little easier and clients do might start coming to you. But when you're first starting out, you got to go get everything that you want because no one's going to give it to you at the beginning. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's very true. So what's in the future for you as a filmmaker, as a person, creative what would you, would you like to share? Uh, you know, right now, my my plan is to uh, continue with my YouTube channel. I'm enjoying that a lot. Uh, my production business is doing better than it's ever done. Um, and so, you know, I'm continuously riding the wave that is my creative life right now. Um, I don't have any big, big plans coming up or anything crazy like that because, like I said at the very, very beginning, I don't really try to control my creativity too much. I just kind of ride the waves. And right now the waves are big and I'm enjoying them. And I'm going to continue to ride these out and uh, give them everything that I've got. 
uh, and just enjoying it one day at a time. Big thanks to Brandon for hopping on the podcast to share his story. And thanks again for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'm going to be putting Brandon's social media info down below in the description. So make sure to check him out. And if you got great content out of this episode as well, make sure to give it a thumbs up if you're watching or give it a great review if you're listening on the podcast. So thanks again for joining in. And until next time, I'll see you in the next episode. Peace.